Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, today I have Scott Goldman on the show. He recently wrote an article called Come Be a Bad Roman for our website at thebadroman.com. And so I wanted to have him on to talk more about this article because the whole goal behind our project is the entanglement of the Christian with the state and how we seem to be so engaged with the state as Christians where we're called to follow Christ. And his article is excellent and shows exactly what a bad Roman is supposed to look like. And, it, and being a bad Roman is not a bad thing. It's actually being more Christ-like. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty well, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Got a day off work, enjoying a cup of coffee, wrestling with my cat. She's way too involved with all this. I was, she's now trying to knock my phone off the desk. But uh, I, was, I was telling Abby this uh, when we recorded last time that one thing that you guys don't see while you guys are talking to me, I, I'm listening to you, but I'm also having to pick Cubby up and put her back on the ground. And then that turns into a fight. We start wrestling. And so I'm wrestling with this cat while I'm talking to you guys. And you guys don't, I wish there was some video of this because it would be pretty hilarious. But if I sound like I'm stuttering, I'm probably trying to get her off of my arm because she likes to wrestle and she turns into a, there she goes again. She's got a hold of my hand right now. <laughs> That's actually awesome because uh, I have a dog and my fear is that he's going to just start going bark crazy when somebody walks by the front of the house while we're on a podcast. I've recorded with people, in the, you know, in the past, and I can hear their dogs in the background. I think it's great. You know, it just kind of shows our humanity a little bit that what we got going on in our personal lives with our animals, they're like little kids anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just it just shows that we're real people. We're not here for a show. We're actually concerned with reality. So in your article, it's called Come Be a Bad Roman. And you start off, a good Christian is a bad Roman. Allow me to explain in a simple, fundamental way. Words have meanings. The original meaning of the word Christian just meant little Christ. That's it. No more, no less. And so, and what I love about this is as you, as you grow in your understanding of the, the teachings of Christ, you start to understand that his teachings are completely contradictory to what we see in the world and, and what you see as how Christians are relating themselves to the state, how they get engaged with the state, how they entangle themselves with the state. And we are not called to be part of that. I was speaking with my dad. He called me on my birthday a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about that. He's a church of Christ preacher. And he told me, he said that we're not supposed to be entangled with the world. And that, in, and I told him, I said, this includes politics. And he said, I, he goes, and you're right. He said, I, he said, I've thought about that a lot. And, and, and it includes government. It includes anything with this world. We're supposed to just follow Christ. Our goal is to live a Christ-like life and to be more of a Christian, it's it's impossible to engage with the state and still follow Christ, in my opinion. And I think that the further we've gone with this project, people are starting to realize that as well. It's it's been very uh, refreshing to me that the 
the feedback we get from people as far as this project is concerned because they're opening up to it a little bit more day by day. And I love it. And I hope it, you know, we continue to grow that way. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And one of the ways I've been thinking about it since uh, writing this article is I'm not the most computer savvy guy, but I understand what an operating system is and how that operating system um, helps you get somewhere, so to speak. Um, and that's basically how I can relate to being a good Christian um, or a, I'll just say a good Roman, you know, like those, those are the contrasts. Those are the things those are going to be the operating systems that's going to produce something out in the world. And I think that's where Christ really separates himself from the world is the world operates. Well, the, the slogan was, um, oh, Pax Roma, which I b- believe means peace through, through victory, Roman peace through victory or something like that. I can't remember it, uh, right off the top of my head because it's been a while since I wrote the wrote the article but it was basically bringing peace to the world by violence and Christ's operating system was I give you peace not as the world gives it to you um, like through and in, internally you know and by trusting in him and trusting in you know early Christianity was called the way and it would basically be understood as this is the way you behave and the way you act and the way you engage the world so the question that it's really really asking is is Caesar's way right in the world or is Jesus's way right in the world right and in your article you when you mentioned Pax Romana or, or Roman peace you said the Romans brought peace by the sword, known more accurately as military might, but let's call it what it was. It was oppression. Rome was a kingdom. And if you get back to what Jesus said, he said something that was brilliant. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would fight. They would fight to defend him. And if you see the, the way the church follows, not a lot of Christians believe the same way that the majority of Christians do as far as uh, the war footing that the United States government is on. But the majority do. Going back to my old neocon days, I fully thought the only way we're going to bring peace was to kill a bunch of people, which looking back makes absolutely no sense. How are you going to bring peace by starting more wars? Jesus did not come as some war hero. He came very meek. He came very, he was very mild and he was, it was, he just promoted peace. That was his goal. Yeah, and I think that's that's a clear example when you when you just read the story, but it's gotten twisted in, in our Christian belief um, that Jesus is that warrior that's going to come back and and destroy the world that way. This was just a the first like the first visit was just a Mister Nice Guy, and the next time we're going to get you know Mister Bad Guy, and I just don't think that's scripturally accurate. The the, the more that we're coming to understand the ancient languages. It's starting to reveal itself that that's not the point. It's not that there's going to be a hostile takeover. And But we read that. you know, we, We've actually put that spirit into the scriptures. We haven't really got it out of the scriptures, in my opinion. How can we expect somebody to see a, a Christ-like nature if we are actively dropping bombs in their country or occupying their country? When, when Christians call us a Christian nation, which is absurd, because there's nothing Christ-like about our nation. But if you're calling us a Christian nation, and then people from in other countries are seeing how our, air quotes, Christian nation is acting in their own country, they're not seeing the love of Christ. How can you portray Christ as peaceful and loving when you are actively killing their family? It's 
is so contradictory. When I understand, I support troops. I support them to the point that I want them home and get out of all that garbage. That's how much I support them. We cannot support troops by sending them overseas to destroy other countries. I was going to say, I just very much agree with that. And the part that breaks my heart on it is when you really step back and observe why we're in other countries, you know, we're fed propaganda that, oh, they're, they hate us for our freedoms. I'll just use that one because that's the one I bought into and believed for many, many years. Um, but the reality was, is we were attacking them and not letting them just be them. And if we were in their shoes, we would be doing the same thing. We would be trying to defend ourselves, but we're labeling them terrorists. And then when I start reading things in American history, how we were looked at as terrorists to the English empire, well, I mean, we're, we're calling the kettle black. We're just, we're being very hypocritical. Right. And in your article, you said Caesar's words and ways of being were to be followed by the greatest to the lowest of people in his lands. They were all his citizens and they were all intended to be good Romans. And the way to be a good Roman was one of might makes right. It was believed and is still believed by many today as the way peace is brought to the world. Violence, or at the very least, the threat of it is an acceptable means to an end. The good Roman might makes right way of being in the world abided by a dominance hierarchy that diminished the dignity of all of those who opposed this way. But there was a new kingdom emerging. And this was great, dude. I love how you brought this into the article when you talked about Jesus. I mean, it was, but there was a new kingdom emerging. There was a, a little-known Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus of Nazareth began to challenge the Roman way of being in the world in the first century. And something that we talked about, I don't remember if it was you or John that brought it up in our first roundtable. I think it was John, but he said something great. He said, if our own government doesn't view the church as some sort of threat, then we of Christians are not doing our job. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I think there's so much truth behind that because they don't really have to oppress Christians in America because the majority of Christians are going right along with whatever the government does, as long as their guy's in office, their favorite guy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think there's a spirit behind it. It's um, a religious spirit, I would say, that um, that you follow the leader. And unfortunately, what, what I see in modern Christianity right now, it's it's really Christless in some aspects, where they don't want to follow the way of Christ. They just want to be called by his name, so to speak. But that's that's not how it's understood in the ancient world. And you, you see it all the time in humanity. I, it's not just a religious phenomenon, but like if you look at conservatives and liberals and you break down those words and what they mean, you find out that liberals are really not that liberal. They want to be controlling. And that's the opposite. And conservatives, they're not being very conservative because they want control and not let go either, um, which costs a lot of energy and, <laughs> and resources. So it's it's like these these labels get put on and then they don't get uh, uh, held to. And in a sense, that's kind of what idolatry is. Like I, I, I think about the Pledge of Allegiance. I said it for years. I still have it memorized. I don't think it'll ever leave my head, but it's left my heart. Um, the reason is, is because it says, I, you know, we stand for liberty and justice for all. But if we look at the reality of America, no, it's not. We don't have justice for all. We have we have justice for those who can afford it. Um, we have uh, liberty for those who can afford it. Um, it's it's not truth. So that's no different than say ancient biblical idolatry, where they built a statue to say this is your god, this is your 
your Moloch that we're going to sacrifice our children to, because if we sacrifice to you, we're going to get this blessing. It's, it's the object in the way of the real, so to speak. Like I, I, I like to use money as an object of idolatry as well, because it's something that's um, the focus on it can really pollute our thinking. Like if I have 20 bucks and I want to get my money's worth, you know, of groceries, the value is really on the groceries, not on the dollar. The dollar is in a sense the the myth or the even middleman that somebody believes is or has the real potential to power in it to get that. But that's not true. That dude can just hand me vegetables and I could work on his car. You know what I'm saying? There's the money is not really the the focus at all, but we make it the focus. So that's kind of how we I've uh, idolatrized. Uh, I don't even think that's a word, <laughs> but that's that's kind of one of our operating mechanisms that I don't think we fully understand. Right, and I, and, I, and I apologize if I'm all over the place here, but you said something that got me, got me to thinking. With everything going on with this uh, coronavirus thing, when you look at the left, they talk a lot about helping you know individual rights, but with everything going on right now, I've noticed. A very common trend among the left is that they are more interested in controlling people. And I see it with just in conversations with people. And then on the right, this is one thing that's really frustrating me because I came from the right. A lot of us came from the right. But you, you see people on the right, they are so upset with how the government is handling things. But then in the same breath, they will come back and say, but we have to get we have to reelect these guys. Otherwise, the Democrats will take over. Which is, some of these terms that these people come up, come up with just just crack me up, but demon craps or libtards or stuff like that, you know. And then the left has their their names for the right, and so they're just fighting back and forth. But when you boil it down, both sides are not really interested in individual liberty, individual rights. Neither one are concerned with that. They the right talks a good game, but they don't they don't follow it. The left. They're actually more honest than the right. When you, when you get when you get down to it, they are actually more honest about how they feel about individuals or how they feel about liberty. At least I can say that about the left. I can't say that about the right. The right talks a lot about liberty, religious liberty, liberty in itself, but the left is very honest about it. And kudos to them. At least we know they're not lying about it when they come at us with, with their uh, force of control. The right does it kind of in a, in a, in a they kind of do it by, in behind the scenes with their control. I would agree with you 100% on that. And, and I would kind of even tie that back to idolatry where um, they want a certain image upheld, but the reality is it's, they don't want you to be free. Um, I think about the slogan that we're told, you know, stay home, save lives. It's really no different than the rights propaganda of support the troops what they mean by by saying each one of those lines whether you're on the left or the right is don't question what we tell you because if you question what we tell you you want people to die (laughs) and that's that's the truth on both sides it's the same operating system and that's why it drives me crazy that christians will jump on political means and, and and there's christians on the right and on the left um and they will jump on these slogans and take up these ideas idolatrous kind of terms that have no real meaning except to control you by words. It's so frustrating. I had a friend, she got so mad at me when all this started because we never really, we had some similar ideas as far as politics in the past, but she comes from a a more socialist background. So there were a lot of conflicts when I was a neocon, but the more I 
learned about libertarianism, we kind of came together on some things. But when all this started, I don't remember what she posted, but I commented. I said, you know, it's, it's crazy. I said, I have to carry papers in my truck to show that I'm an essential employee in case I get pulled over. I said, that's not free. And it's reminiscent of uh, Nazi Germany. And it upset her. And then she's like, well, she goes, I think that this project is going to be good for you because it's going to give you an outlet. But she goes, I won't ever listen to it because we won't agree. She goes, I believe in transgender rights. And I was like, that's awesome. I said, I believe in everybody's rights, every individual rights. I don't care if you're transgender. That's, that's between you and God. That is none of, that's none of my business. They try to single out certain aspects of the community. Well, I support these people's rights. I do too. And I also support the other person's rights that you're disagreeing with. We're all individuals. I, I cannot stand this collective mentality because it really causes more problems than if we just focused on individuals as an individual person. You know, a lot of, a lot of times race is brought up. Race divides people probably more than anything as far as the subject matter behind it. And I'm, and I'm all the time, it's like I said, you're right. I said, but we need to focus on the individual. If we stop focusing on the color of a person's skin and just looked at that person as a person, an individual, and not try to categorize them into a certain group of people, these are, we're all individuals and we all live our own lives the best we know how. Agreed. Um, and one of the things I see by, by looking more into the first century church that followed Christ um, is they were trying to usher in a new humanity. You know, they, n- no difference between Jew and Greek. That is a huge wall to break down for a Jewish person during that time frame. Um, probably same for a Roman or an Ethiopian, but, and, and male and female bond servant and free, you know, there, there's all those things that are listed that, that they're bringing on the same level that they're tearing down hierarchy, um, is what the first church century church was doing. And they weren't doing it just by saying it. They were doing it by loving their neighbor as their selves, which is what Christ was teaching. It's like, don't think better of yourself. Like the word, even humility. I had to, my pastor do a decent sermon on it where it doesn't mean that you're lower than anybody. It means it's an even playing field. So like you've heard the term false humility is when you're like, Oh, sorry, I'll pick on some uh, theology here on the um, Reformed side is the worm theology. You're not good enough. Well, maybe I'm not good enough. I'll, I'll just play along for a second. But I'm so not good enough that the God of the universe would put on a skin suit and die for me. Mm, I think I have some value to him. So you can't, in my opinion, you can't, you can't live in this negativity that, oh, I'm always bad and good. And honestly, dude, I've lived most of my Christian walk that way. Like I, I always was seeking approval. But what I'm seeing, and I had another pastor point this out to me. If you look at Christ, when he gets baptized by John the Baptist and he comes out of the water and it says, this is my son, Jesus didn't do anything yet. It was just his, his being. That's what God was happy with. And sure, you can you can add on a ton to that. You can add to the text, well, God knew that Jesus was going to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. And sure, I don't have any disagreements with that whatsoever. But to read the story and to learn from what the story is telling you in its context, that's a huge point. God, I believe, is already happy with us and already loving us. So in a sense, like I don't believe at all that when I strive so hard to love my neighbor as myself, that God is more happy with me um, than when I'm failing at it. And I find that perspective um, that I know God is happy with me regardless and that I'm a son and his child uh, made in his image and in his likeness, that actually 
coming from that gives me the energy to want to love my other brothers and sisters made in God's image um, the way that I am being loved by God. And I think that's what makes Christ different than Caesar. Caesar sat on a throne, and actually Nero during that time, I mean, he was a, you start looking at the, the history of that dude, that was a a wickedly sadistic man, and I don't know how to put it any other way. Um, and that's why the contrast is so different. Like Caesar's on the throne and hugely sadistic, and here's Jesus, this common man. I mean, even a rabbi in that time would have just been one rabbi among thousands. And he was the son of a carpenter born in a manger. That part of the story is telling us that everyday people have power, even if you're just looking at it as a story and you don't believe he's the son of God. The the emphasis that's put on Christ and who he was and what he came from in in his place in history and humanity was he was an everyday Joe that changed the world. Now, granted, that's why I believe he's the son of God. but I'll stop there. Hey folks, Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Well, let me ask you something, and it's something I try to point out a lot with or, or bring up in, in these conversations when we're trying to get Christians to understand that the entanglement with the state is contrary to, to following Christ. And in your article, you said this rabbi began to gather followers around ideas that rejected the dominance hierarchy, the selfish tribal economics, and the violence against one's enemies accepted in the larger society. Now, when we look at that, why do you think that Christians are so ready to follow a man-made government, no matter how flawed they are or how bad they're, they're acting across this world? Is it fear? I mean, to me, there has to be something more behind it than fear. I mean, I, I think fear drives it, but there's got to be, to me, there's got to be something more behind it. And I can't, I can't pinpoint it. And even looking back at my old neocon days, I still can't pinpoint it. There's, uh, there was fear because I did not want a liberal in office because they were going to ruin everything, you know, but looking back, I don't know. I don't, there, there had to be something else driving it other than fear. And I can't pinpoint it. Maybe you can. Yeah, well, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I love to read a lot of psychology because the human is the most interesting thing to me on the planet. And what I've learned is that, yeah, our first human emotion that we work out of is fear. So I I would add on to that, though, of why humans are, um, I'll just say, people worshipers in the sense where uh, they elevate man above themselves. It's because of fear. And the second part is laziness. And I can, I can honestly say I'm guilty of both that. And, you know, so I'm not trying to point the finger at those who worship the state, although I usually use that term, worship the state. I know that's within me because I, I voted before and I just thought, okay, well, this is, if, if I vote for, say, George Bush, I'm going to get less taxes taken out and I can do better for my family, which I had a young family at the time. And so that was an important decision to me. But if I'm honest, it was 
because I was fearful that the Democrats would take more of my money um, and I would struggle more raising my family. And so there's validity to that. Um, and that's where I like, I have to say about the Jesus story is like, he's faced with all these fears and even more, and he still rises above it and conquers those fears and loves his neighbor as himself. Like sacrificially, he trusts so much. I think it is. I think you're right, man. I think you're right. I think it is laziness. Cause when you, when you think about it, when we get done voting, when the voting cycle is finished, we just go about our lives and don't really concern it anymore. Yeah, and also think about the miters of people that are like angry at Trump or or praise him um, because they don't want the responsibility for their own lives to go well. They want to put that on somebody else. So when that their life isn't going the way they want, well, Trump's a jackass and he's he's uh, ruining the whole country, and we can just like blame it all on him. He's our scapegoat. But when he's doing good, it's like, all oh, right, I made the right decision by voting for Trump. So my life's going good now, blah, 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 blah. It, how is it not idolatry? I can't see it any other way. And it's because we don't want that responsibility, which is, makes us lazy. Like if, if I want my neighborhood to do better, then I need to get out and maybe mow an old person's lawn that can't get out and do it anymore. You know what I'm saying? I need to take on the responsibilities for myself and my family. And then if I have more to give give it to the rest of the world so it can be what I want it to be. So we're just trying to outsource what we should be doing anyway. We're trying to outsource through the government, through a government, man, the government that is evil in its very nature. Yes. If you think about how government acts, they steal from us with the threat of a gun. They use that money they steal from us to kill other people. And if you don't comply to them, they will lock you in a cage. There is nothing peaceful about that. And so we're, and we're so and Christians are trying to outsource how we're supposed to be acting towards our neighbor. We're trying to outsource it to an evil government. These people are evil, man. And I can't stress that enough. Why are we so involved with this as Christians? I don't know. But to make to make this program a little bit more controversial, I'll say Christians are American Christians are, are, are a worse part of the problem because we don't want the responsibility of taking up our cross and following Christ. We want to put it on the government and scapegoat everybody else. I mean, look, look at Trump. The amount of Christians that follow this guy, this guy is awful. Some of the stuff he said leading up to his first election was appalling to me. I couldn't believe it. And then there's so many Christians are, that get on board. Franklin Graham, I don't, you said this in our, in our roundtable. I was listening to it again last night. And you said, I can't even call this guy a Christian. Nope. I loved his dad. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, they're so night and day. It's like Ron Paul and Rand Paul <laughs> to me. You know, yeah. they're, they're two different yeah. people. And because Trump, some of the stuff he said and the way he was treating people and Christians were cheering this stuff, man. And that's when I started realizing, man, there's something wrong. There is something completely wrong with what's going on. And, and I don't, and I had, and I started stepping back and taking a look at what was happening. And that's when my mind started changing a little bit. That's one thing I guess I can be thankful for with Donald Trump is it kind of opened my eyes to some stuff that I would have ignored with anybody else because I was so hell bent on making sure that another liberal didn't get in office. They're all the same, man. If you look at how the Republicans are with uh, compared to Democrats, I see very, very little difference. Very little. We're still got mounting debt. Well, I mean, we're going deeper and deeper in debt. We are still are we are still expanding these wars, Democrats and Republicans alike. 
You know, and if Biden happens to beat Trump, which whatever, I don't see any difference. These guys, we got. Well, Trump surprised me, so anything can happen. <laughs> if people think that electing Biden is going to change anything, no. You know, when Obama was elected, he expanded the wars that Bush had started. He he increased the war footing. He taught, you know, and, and Trump has talked about bringing troops home. But when it gets right down to it, he doesn't do it. You know, when everything going on, people are so focused on one thing right now. Man, I, I don't even I don't remember the last time I saw anything unless you go listen to a podcast like you listen to uh, the Scott Horton show or something. You might hear something or Freeman Beyond the Wall. You might hear something that's going on in other countries as far as what, how we're still acting over there. But you don't hear it on the news anymore. It's all on this coronavirus. And I think a lot of this is being used to distract us. But I don't even know the distraction is needed at this point because people don't even care. People don't care that we're dropping bombs every day in other countries. It's not affecting us. But think about it, if it was happening here, we would bristle. Americans would bristle and be ready to fight constantly. But we're so we're so disengaged from it because, well, we're worried about when the next restaurant's going to open up or, or when I can get my hair cut. We are so arrogant, man. See, I think about like what, what you're just talking about. It kind of went back to the laziness. And I can really attribute our culture is kind of the same as, say, the Israelites leaving um, Egypt, where, you know, they, they had oppression. They were not treated well. I mean, they were treated way harsher than we are here as American citizens. Um, they were, you know, more forced labor, where we're more of, how do you say, coerced labor, where we got the carrot in front of the horse instead of the whip at the back. But it's still, it's a, it's a control system, no matter how you look at it. But as soon as they get out of Egypt, and there's not that good food around anymore, we're like, man, we were better off in Egypt with all the leeks and all the good food. And we don't want to really sacrifice for the greater good. And as Christians, um, I see that. We don't, we, we're following the same mental patterns that were negative that the scripture testifies about more than we are the positive patterns. Like I, I love listening to the Christ story through the lens of Jordan Peterson, a psychologist, where he had said this about Christ as, as the story. It's salvation through the individual, not through society. And so that is how we have received salvation to this world, is God became a man, took on suffering himself, and also his fellow man's burden, and did the best he could with it, which was amazing if you read the story, <laughs> and and showed us a way of, of how to de defeat the tyranny in our, in our own lives, which starts in our minds, in my opinion. Right. And, I, and again, I apologize from all over the place, but I think it kind of goes back to the article as well. But you ended the article, it says, the way of Christ is winning, hands down. Loving your neighbors yourself brings real and lasting peace. It is what makes the world a better place. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And one thing that I'm trying to come to grips with, and I think I'm there, is passivism. It's, it's been explained to me. Abby talks about it a lot. And when I recorded with Bruxy Cavi the other day, uh, we talked about it some too. And it's not something that when you think about passivism or when I thought about it, and a lot of people view it as we're just kind of just hanging out, not doing anything. We're just trying to be the best we can, which is not true at all. Passivism, the way they've explained it to me, and then it makes a lot of sense. They're, they're actively working towards peace. You're not just sitting around, not doing anything. And then when, it, when that was explained to me, I was like, wow, passivism is actually more proactive <laughs> than outsourcing to a government. 
yeah, I said Jesus was a complete pacifist, but he was a man of action. You know, it's, he wasn't a man of violent action. And, and for some reason, especially in our culture, our culture is quick on the uh, fight or flight um, mentality. This, and that's our, that's our natural surviving instinct right there. And we're closer to the fight. Um, and I would say that's accurate because look how new of a nation we are. We're not even, what, we're not even 250 years old yet. We're, we're less than that, I, I believe. So we're young. And so like everything that arises to us is, is a challenge that we, we got to fight uh, like physically. But at the same time, we have that model of Christ where he was definitely a man of action, but he didn't resort to, to violent means. But we do. And I have to say, I'm kind of with you there with the struggling on pacifism because I want to be a complete pacifist, to be honest with you. I want to be that guy. But I know where I'm at right now is I do reserve violence for self-defense of myself if that's going to lead to death. That's kind of where I've made up my mind. If I get slapped across the face, hey, I can take it. I can take that. Um, but my wife needs me. <laughs> so I do have a mindset right now that, you know, uh, I'm here to still be a provider and protector for my family, even though my kids are out of the house right now. I still want to be the best husband and father I can be. Um, and I'm just this is a personal conviction. I'll defend myself enough to make sure I can still be those things. However, my heart may change to more of a, say, like Abby Thinks or Jason Mock, uh, two people I very much respect and love their opinions and how they've explained it. I hope my heart grows to that. And as I get older, I could see it doing that because <laughs> I'll just be a little mean. Um, the older I get, the kind of less useless I am going to be to be a provider. <laughs> And that kind of thing, you know, I'm not probably, you know, I'm probably not going to be a millionaire by the time I die. Right. Um, but as long as my wife's secure and can do without me, and then that's, maybe that decision might change a little bit, you know, it's, it's a process. And I just feel like right now I can't be a complete pacifist to say, I'll never defend myself. I can say I'm a complete pacifist where I will never aggress against another person, but you know, I love my kids and if they're in some kind of danger, I'll do what I can to help them. Like I will give my life. Um, and I think that's a good model made by Christ as well. The hard part is, is that Christ loves us all and I'm not that big. You know, I got, I got families and friends that I can, that I can take care of to the best of my ability, but I can't save the world. And I think that's a healthy thing to remember, um, is that we are not Christ, but we can be exactly what a, a Christian is, a little Christ. I can imitate that to the best of my ability. And, and then I have the grace to live in um, until I get to where maybe I, maybe I will get to a place where I'll just use Abby and Jason as the, the model of perfection of, of their hearts and that. Maybe I can get there. But right now, I just don't think that's it's feasible for me. I think getting older kind of helps with things because honestly, back in my younger days, man, it, I wouldn't hesitate to uh, slap somebody back on the face when they slap me on the face. You know what I'm saying? And now that I've gotten older, I'm just kind of too old for all that garbage. I just, it, it hurts too much. And I just, I just kind of want to sit on my couch and watch some TV. Yeah. I'm 45 now. I'm pretty sure I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis, but I could say five years ago, I'd have slapped somebody easy, easy. And maybe not even for hitting me first. Yeah. Without question. Yes. And just, just for, I mean, I wouldn't say shits and giggles, but I would say just like if I got irritated to the point, um, by by something somebody said you know i would i would probably smack somebody <laughs> and that's that's and as i reflect on that i'm not proud of that um i'd rather be who i am now 
to fight against that instinct because it isn't right. If I'm honest, do I want somebody doing that to me? I don't. I mean, how many times, you know, of us being on this side of um, anarchism and not being patriots to a flag or a nation anymore, do we have people say, you know, I, I'll stomp your ass if you stomp my flag? Oh, I used to be that guy. Golly. This brings back so many neocon memories. I mean, some of my Facebook memories, dude, I see them and I'm thinking, good man, you are, you were so awful. <laughs> You're so the stuff you used to believe, you know, when you get to the, you start talking about the flag and it kind of goes to what I was going to talk about next, but the kingdom of America, the American empire is going to fall at some point and people need to understand that. Now, as Christians, we need to remember that that is not our kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is going to stand forever, forever and ever and ever. And we are a part of this fantastic kingdom that, that God has created or, or that Jesus has, has created. And if we just focused on that, all of this garbage going on with, with American politics I don't even concern myself with like debates and stuff anymore. People talking, you know, they want to, they watch debates and it's, I can't, it's, I can't do it. It doesn't even interest me anymore. I'd rather watch a cartoon because it's the same. It looks like a cartoon to me. At the end of your article, and you said, so if being a good Christian means being a bad Roman, then by all means, let's be bad Romans. And the meaning, let's follow Christ and let's be bad Romans to government. Let's also make sure that they understand we're a threat. To their stability. And I agree with that 100%. I honestly think um, when I reflect on the history of the Roman Empire beginning to collapse um, around Constantine's time, he invites the church in to, to help him make Rome's empire more moral. Um, in a sense, it was a desperate plea to keep the empire together. And I look at it the same as Satan offering... Um, the world systems and the empires of the world to Christ, where Christ rejected power over his fellow man because he knew that's not what makes the world a better place. What makes the world a better place is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that was bringing down the Roman Empire. People were coming to the faith, selling everything they had, building hospitals, rushing in when there was diseases, and helping people. And the economic system could not sustain it. If we lived that way as Christians right now, where we obeyed God rather than man and and actually lived less out of a paper currency economy and an economy out of an ever-flowing source of love and, and, and even nature. Like they, they say the, the planet produces three times the food that everybody on earth needs. We just can't get it to everybody or there's systems in place that, that stop it. We have the resources. We have the clean air. We have the clean water to, to sustain life. But we hoard it because of fear. And I do think that's the underlying demon, so to speak, is we're so afraid that we – we're too afraid to love, I guess, is how I would see that. And, and then Christ comes on the scene. He's like, no, you guys got it backwards and upside down. There's plenty and be loving and share and give it. Well, he told us that too. He said, what are you worried about? What are you, what are you worried about? And I, when you read that in scripture, when all this started with coronavirus, man, I, I kept going back to that scripture and I was kept sharing it. I was like, he, and he told us what he's, what are you worried about? Does your father in heaven not think more of you than he does 
the birds that he's feeding? What are you worried about? Why are you worried about tomorrow? And if we can just rest in that, if we can just rest in that reality that we have a loving father, that our well-being is his first interest. We need to keep that in mind at all times. And with, well, you just want my grandmother to die. No, (laughs) that's not what I'm saying. I just don't want you to worry about this because when all this started, people started acting like death was a new thing. I know people, people die every day of different things, you know, and if I happen to die from the coronavirus, then it is what it is, but I don't, I'm not going to worry about it because Jesus told me not to, and I'm going to take his word over other people's. I mean, I might call me selfish, but I kind of trust him more than I do a human being. Well, he was the perfect human. We can't get away from that. I mean, he was the perfect human as much as he is God. And if he had this human experience figured out and perfected, then yeah, he has the credibility for me to listen to. And it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, Christ said, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what to wear. Look at the sparrows. They're fed and they don't sow and they don't do these things. And that's like a huge statement. But I'm actually taking a class right now, a workshop right now, about coming out of the poverty mindset and realizing that the planet is enough to sustain the life on it. But we live out of that fear where we don't trust, like like uh, I doubt, uh, if I'm honest, I doubt the words of Christ that he's going to take care of my needs. So I have to get my head straight. I have to and sit and live in those promises. My needs are going to be met because God cares about me. And in turn, I need to trust that. And then I need to share that. God has given me plenty. God ha- has taken care of me. I get the chance to imitate him by taking care of my neighbor or the hard one, even my enemy. Right. Well said, my friend. Yeah. Well said. Um, I'm really looking forward to your next article. This one was great. We got some great feedback on this article. And if you go to the website and read it, there was several people that, that even hit the like button on it, which is pretty cool, man. You, Yeah, it's the... Uh, it's uh, it's I haven't looked recently, but I've got the got it printed out. But there was like thirteen at the time when I printed out, which is I think more than anybody else's. Nice. No, no, no offense to anybody else. <laughs> I mean, I've got an article too on there that's only got a couple likes, so it really goes right along with what uh, this project's all about and what we're trying to get across to people. So let's end on that. And you you have a new Facebook page that uh, I want you to plug on here, and then we'll. Uh, I'll let you go and get back to your day. Okay. Um, Yeah, my Facebook uh, page, I'm starting up. I've only got a couple videos on it, but it's called The Mind of Christ. And uh, basically what it's going to be is me just sharing um, stories and object lessons, short videos of things that's impacted my life and changed my way of thinking. Um, And I hope it does the same for other people. I'm hoping the lessons I've learned, so to speak, can be a blessing to others to either relate to or help um, push them in a direction towards Christ and, and, and faith and responsibility and many other things. It's one of those things I can't even put a, uh, I have an end goal to because I think the, the goals are, are endless of what Christ can do through us and through our humanity. And there's another thing I wouldn't mind plugging that's not mine, if you don't mind, is that workshop I, was, I just kind of brought up. It's called, um, actually, it's a, it's a Facebook page you could probably find called Uprooting from the Poverty Mindset. And what it's doing for me is it's helping me put money in its pop, proper place in my life. Um, I've had, like, grew, I grew up poor and always nervous about where our resources were going to come from. And I, it's, it's, it's put money in, say, a, in, a, in an idolatrous 
uh, place in my head and heart where either I I am too overexcited about when I get a, a lot of it, or I'm very very scared when I don't have enough of it. But the reality is, it's really nothing, and God is meeting every need. That's the the way the guy that's been teaching teaching me a bit has said it this way, and I love it. He's like, "I'm going to brainwash you back to reality." And what I took what I took from that statement is. Through most of my life, I have been brainwashed because the world's fears and understanding of how things work that is separate from God gets put onto you. And in a sense, when you come into your own, and and I think we all come into our own kind of in a, at a different spot in life, you have to unlearn things um, because we've taken on false beliefs. So um, it's just an important work in self-improvement. I might need to check that out myself. Yes, it, I have to admit it, it has super blessed me. And the and the guy who runs it, I, I can't speak uh, well enough about. Good, tender-hearted guy with a lot of wisdom. So he's one of Keith Giles' friends. Right on. Well, man, I, I want to tell you, I, I really appreciate the work you put into this project and, and, and how much you've helped promote it. And I've learned a ton... I've learned a ton from you just by just in our conversations. We we have a lot of a lot of times we'll text back and forth or or even phone calls. But uh, I've learned a lot just by talking to you, and I really appreciate the work you put into this. And I'm re- very thankful that God put us in each other's path. Me too. And and to me, what I, I love about what you just said is that I, I see God all through that. I hear we're two random guys that's met over Facebook, <laughs> and I think we've been Facebook friends for a couple years. But it's like we've grew up together, you know, and, and that I, I mark as the spirit of God uniting people to, for a grand purpose to help shape this world to be more like his image and not what we've tried to create as a race. So it's just more more evidence to me that there's a spirit of God moving in our world and making it better. Like the article talked about, I think it was towards the end, that it is the way of Christ that is making this world a better place um, through his kingdom than what any kingdom on earth that is trying to mirror that in a sense. Cause I, I think Rome started off with good intentions. You know, they wanted to make sure their citizens were taken well care of, but they lost their way. And I think we're honored and privileged that we have a leader who has never lost his way. And that's Jesus. Well, I think government's full of well-intentioned people, but it changes once they get entangled with that. And we just need to remember that we, we have one King. There's no King, but Christ. And that's who we follow. And if, if we just stay on stay on that path, man, I just I just don't see. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna experience hardships. I mean, it's just part of life. But at the end, I mean, if we're just following Christ, man, I just don't see how it can go wrong. And I think Christians need to get back to that, get away from government, and let's just follow Christ. No king but Christ. That's our guy. Yes, and what I really like about that. <laughs> is that here comes this king that's not demanding loyalty. He's just saying, come, follow me. You know, he's not like putting a whip at our back and making us do anything. He's inviting us. And that's why I have to say that makes me stick with Christ. It's, I'm not afraid, you know, that he's going to be mad at me. I'm excited that he believes in me, that I can follow, that I'm, I'm good enough to follow. And that's been a real nice revelation for me to learn these last probably five or six years as I've just been examining life again, re-examining life to see where I fit in. And is is it, that's the motivation. I get to partner with the living God to make this planet better. What an amazing, amazing calling. And so my encouragement, I, wanna, I do want to leave with that. Come be a bad Roman. <laughs> Let's be 
bad Romans. Let's follow Jesus. Let's let's all be bad Romans. Let's let's follow Christ and not the government. Yes. All right, buddy. Man, this was a lot of fun. Great conversation, and uh, we'll do it again for sure. Especially when you get another article written, and you're going to be involved in some future uh, roundtables as well. So we've already got one recorded that you're in as well that we haven't released yet, but. We'll do it again for sure, man. I always enjoy speaking with you, and I can't wait till the next time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.